I, I definitely feel that isolation. Talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. She told me that I should change my career goal. We're only doing science to take care of our community. You need to feel 100% prepared for sharing your knowledge. Um, there's never been a road that someone has shown me. If no one do it, it's okay if you want to do it. Well, I had a 2.5 GPA. How do I overcome this? First gen come grade, I was the class low. Higher education is for them. It will empower them. They will have a Present time. Present myself in a way that I feel that people would be able to really acknowledge who I am and like... We need to retain them. Be you, you know, like stop trying to mold yourself to fit. It's not just about the science, it's about how we vote, you know, how we treat people who are different to us, you know, how we try and get the best out of people. Those things are really important. When I graduate from our program, I will be the first African-American male to ever have matched and graduated as a surgeon at this institution, as a general surgeon which in 2021 just seems ridiculous to me. What's up, y'all? It's your host, JP Flores, and welcome to From Where Does It Stem? So I'm Sabal Hassan. I am a postdoctoral scholar and lecturer doing bioinformatics at Scripps Research under Dr. Andrew Sue and Don Eastman uh, under the Wikidata Gene Wiki project. A fun fact about me is that I used to not like peas, but now I do. I also go by they, them pronouns. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to hear more about your science. So what do you do exactly? Uh, at your institution right now. What do I do? Um, so Wikidata, <laughs> <Everything>. it's, <laughs> Wikidata is basically the Excel spreadsheet version of Wikipedia, which you can think of as like the Word document. And so Wikidata is the structured data version of Wikipedia. Um, and so think like NCBI, but like everything. Anybody can make a user account and you can look at anything from like dinosaurs to gene disease relationships, which is what I'm mainly involved with the gene rookie project. And my role is mainly biocuration, which uh, what I do is I retrieve data from very specialized biomedical databases like ClinVar, ClinGen, and I integrate and automate that into Wikidata with bots um, in Python. And so I do that. And then right now, uh, yeah, my project is basically trying to reproduce and automate uh, an analysis uh, that basically walks through Wikidata and retrieves a bunch of biomedical information as nodes and edge categories, puts it together as knowledge graph data, and then uh, walks through that with an uh, algorithm to then output potential candidates for drug repurposing. Um, so basically drugs that have already been FDA approved and rank them for different types of uses uh, than what they're currently used for. So usually these are drugs that are outdated for some reason or expired, are not in use anymore, but maybe they're useful for something else. So that's what my project is. Gotcha, that's awesome. <laughs> So yeah, uh, outside of your science, would you mind painting a picture of, of who you are, how were you raised, and, and what your upbringings were like? Yeah, sure. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. I have a younger sibling. My family now lives in the Bay Area for the last several years. Uh, I'm in San Diego, so it's really nice to be able to see them a lot more often, I think, than before. Uh, but yeah, I grew up kind of in a... Uh, 
I guess, undesirable area of town that's now being gentrified called like Glendale, Rose Park area. So it was a mostly Hispanic migrant neighborhood. It was like on the other side of the highway. It was near the Great Salt Lake. So kind of like a smelly area because of the lake, uh, which is now really interesting because now people are trying to rescue and save the Great Salt Lake. Whereas like in the time I was growing up there, it was always seen as this like gross place. Um, so it's really interesting, uh, you know, for lack of being PC, once something turns on to white people's radar, then it becomes important. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, so now that the neighbor is being gentrified, now it's like, quote unquote, nice. And so all this area and, and stuff around it is also being valued a lot more, which is interesting. Um, so that... I think in my journey of becoming a scientist, even though I grew up next to this lake, I didn't really realize the value of it until um, getting involved in this high school research program that my friend and I, I did not, I was kind of antisocial. Like I just didn't, I, I was alone a lot and didn't really like uh, friends <laughs> generally. So I just had a few. And even then I, I had these pet chickens and I would like, ditch them to hang out with my pet chickens. <laughs> I was just like, very comfortable being a loner, which is like, concerning maybe. But um, yeah, so I had one friend, one of my three friends basically, um, her brother was a grad student at the university and she told me to apply for this program. I was a junior in high school. So by that time we had moved from uh, that urban area and neighborhood to the suburbs, which is very different. And we actually moved because of crime. So we moved to that area and this friend of mine told me about uh, this program that was for high school students that you could do research with the university. And I, I was very curious. We didn't really have that many pets. Well, we had like a, a cat, I guess, but that was later. And so I would keep insects. And I was very, I would like find insects, I'd keep them for a week. So I really liked biology. I really liked nature, but I, I didn't see myself as like a scientist. I really loved, you know, science documentaries. Like I watched a lot of Jeff Corwin and Steve Irwin and stuff like that, yeah, but I yeah. just didn't see myself like as like smart in that way. Uh, anyways, my friend in high school, she was like, you should apply for this program with the university because I, my brother told me about it and he basically forced me to apply and I don't want to be in the program by myself. <laughs> Um, and I was just like, well, I don't think she was pretty smart. And I was like, I don't think I'm that smart, but like, I'll apply. I like, I did AP classes and stuff, but I, I was always kind of in the back corner, you know, it's pretty like average in that way. Like I was like the average or below average kid in the AP class, just trying to get my extracurriculars for a scholarship, you know? So yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was ready so I could get out of Salt Lake. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I applied for this program and I got in. And I was really surprised. So I was gonna work at Nielsen's frozen custard because I loved frozen custard. <laughs> and Who doesn't? I know, it's so good. Uh, actually hard to find, but yeah, it's like really popular in Utah. And so love frozen custard. And then the program paid, it was a paid program. So they gave you a stipend for the summer and it was the same amount based, I like did the math and it was like same amount as I would have gotten paid to work at this frozen custard place this summer. So I was like 17. I had this summer job at the university. I was like, this is great. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> so I was, I did that. And that's basically how I'm here. I'm still in touch with my mentor at the time was a grad student who's now a scientist at Yale. Um, I, the person that led the program, she's retired now, but she's kind of like my science mom. And then after that, I switched labs. And the person I worked with after that, who's now also retired, he was like my science dad. 
and I had like a really good, I mean, it was, it was tough and there were definitely some hard moments, but overall like a really good experience uh, as an undergrad and actually the head of the lab, also Filipino, Baldomero Oliveira, and that, I didn't realize that was unusual. So, yeah. oh, you know him? I, I worked on cone snakes for undergrad. <laughs> oh, really? That was my research, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, well, whose so group awesome. are you in? Uh, Dr. Schultz. I went to Occidental College. Joseph oh, Schultz. I know him. Yeah, yeah. he works great. I, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so I like funny. I like his work. I've like sent him some emails. Yeah, so I did. I worked in Alvera Lab as undergrad. Yeah, I worked in a few other labs too, but mainly that one. Um, but yeah, that, that was my first experience really with research. And I, it was, I didn't realize it was unusual to, you know, our lab was like very international. It was like uh, a lot of Filipinos as well, which I didn't know was unusual. <laughs> yeah, and then right. I went for my master's and I was like the only per like the only non-male besides one PI, the only non-white person besides like one international Japanese grad student. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and that was like a really big shock. And I, because I, I, you know, I was like, oh, Salt Lake is like not diverse. Like you're from LA or like you right, went to right. LA, but I was like from Salt Lake. And I just, in my mind, I was like, oh, Salt Lake is like not diverse. Cause all my mom's side is mostly in the Bay area. So I was like, that's diverse. And I was like, oh, Salt Lake's like not. And then I went to other places like, oh, it's like even worse. <laughs> and I was right. like, I didn't know. <laughs> Um, so but yeah, awesome. I think that that foundation was really important. And uh, there's definitely been a few moments where I've wanted to leave or I almost dropped out. Um, I, I took a master's instead of a PhD the first time I did grad school. And I definitely don't regret that decision. I think that was probably one of the best things I ever did. But uh, yeah, I've, I've hopped around and probably depending on who you talk to, some people were like, yeah, that person really should stay. And probably some people we're like that person should not be in science anymore <laughs> but i'm still kicking so yeah, I'm still i don't know here. look at you now but that's kind of that's a little bit of my origin story cool. yeah if you don't mind me asking what institutions have you um been through gone to yeah i got to yeah i i so yeah i have so many thoughts on higher education uh i oh, if yeah, I, someone recently asked me they're like if you would do it again would you and i was like i would not go to school yeah, yeah, <laughs> i right? probably would just go to vocational school and like yep. get paid you know for the i've now done like what 10 years of research and i probably yep. get paid twice as much just doing a vocational right. degree without experience in a job but I love asking questions. So it's very <laughs> fulfilling in that way because I, I'm definitely that annoying kid that's like, why is it like that? And I'm, you know, just like, that person's like, uh, please stop asking questions. So I'm, I, it's good for me in that way. And it's fulfilling that way. But I think, um, yeah, I, I went to University of Utah and I could only afford to apply to two places really. So I applied at that time there weren't really like, or at least I didn't know about like fee waivers and things like that. So I applied right. there and I applied to UC Berkeley and I got in there cause I wanted to get out of Utah. But uh, you know, at that time it was like the top public university but I didn't really care about that. I was just like, that's where weird slash cool people go and I want to be weird <laughs> and cool. So right. I was not thinking about like the top university. I was just like, I just want to be weird and cool. And like, this is a good school. So like, no one's gonna give me a hard time if I get in. So I got in there and then I remember me and two other friends also applied and one of our, our third friend could get in-state tuition because um, he had a parent that was in California. So he <laughs> actually did go. I think he's a lawyer now. And then me and the other friends, uh, we couldn't really afford to go because it's like 200K or something crazy. And we had a full ride to the University of Utah. So we're like, we're just going to do this. And that was another 
great decision. At first, I really was like, oh man, this is like my dream school. Uh, my brother was like, sick at the time, so he was in and out of the hospital. Uh, but I really don't regret that. And my other friend who did that too doesn't regret. It. Like my friend is now a successful architect. So cool. you know, I, I would my plug is you know choose finances over school, especially if you don't know entirely what you want to do. Like if you know what you want to do in school, undergrad or grad do it. But if you're still not entirely sure, like grad school is great in the sense it's like it's a, you, well, how I've looked at it is it's consistent pay for four to five years. It's not a lot of pay, but it's consistent pay. Uh, you don't have to pay a lot of taxes and like good insurance depending yeah. on where you go. Um, sure. <laughs> so that's, you know, depending on the state of the economy, it's a good decision and your own uh, socioeconomic background, it's a good decision um job wise and that way because then you get paid for doing you know basically cheap labor when you get a degree at the end so that's kind of I've, i feel like i've always looked at school uh from a financial perspective just because i i had to and i think that really worked out for me so then yeah i went to university of utah i got on scholarship um and then i went to grad school in university of new hampshire did my master's in biochemistry uh, then I was going to work after that, but then one friend told me about UC Merced mm. and I really was kind of done with academia and sciences in general. Um, and I lived in Puerto Rico for a little, little oh, bit, wow. like worked at hostels and stuff and, you know, just like took a little bit of a break. Um, and then I started at UC Merced. I was, I was fortunate to get a fellowship there. So I, um, was there and I finished up now two years ago and I've been in this position to start my third year. Um, but yeah, I've, I basically everything has been dictated by finances and where I want to live and what skills I want to gain. I think science is interesting. If you just like science generally, like anything can be interesting. Yeah. Um, there's so many cool questions, but there's nothing to me where I'm like obsessed. Like there's definitely stuff where I'm like curious. I'm like, oh, I want to know more about that. And I really want to figure out that answer. But I can also let it go and be like, eh, if, like if I can't figure out that answer, like that's fine, I'll just do something else. And I think um, it's difficult. I, if I could make a suggestion to anyone out there who's in grad school right now or in academia generally, you know, uh, just be open. Be Don't be too open, like have something, yeah. but like be open because uh, everyone always would say this when I was at seminars or whatever, they're like, oh, you know, what, what you end up doing is not gonna be what you thought you were gonna do. And like, that's so true. Like yeah. I've just had such a zigzag path, which I, I kind of thought I would anyway, because like that's my personality a little bit and that's fine. I'm just having fun. I'm enjoying it. And so far I'm financially doing okay enough that I can stay in it. I probably won't stay in it too much longer. If I don't get some sort of grants or something, I'll probably switch to something that pays a bit better. But as long as I'm able to do it and my family is okay and stuff, like I'm going to keep doing it. So um, yeah, so that's where I've been. And then I finished at UC Merced quantitative and systems bio and I'm here. Awesome. Yeah. I also want to emphasize to people, there is no rush to, because I, I was one of those like bright eyed, bushy tailed undergrads that was like, I'm going to apply to a PhD program. Like, why not? You know, but that's, this is what I wanted to do. And I know so many friends, they were telling me like, oh, it seems like you have your stuff figured out. Like I need to do something. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you really don't need to. There's no rush to do this. Right. So um, I guess my next question has to do with um, the intersectionality of who people are and who they are as scientists. So we talked about yeah. being Filipino. So um, not just on that, but a lot of different things. Why is it important to connect the two um, as we pursue science and, and just are out and about? 
Yeah, so I don't know uh, what your interests are. I'd be curious to hear what your interests are and like how you got interested in science. But I think for me, science was kind of an escape. So mm. when I first, I kind of like had a bit of a chaotic upbringing. And when I was in the lab, it was like my meditation. Mm-hmm. It was like, like I had this card that someone gave me at 17 because they trusted me enough as a 17 year old <laughs> and I could just go in the building like anytime I wanted. And it was great. I think a part of me being such a dedicated kind of workaholic at that time too, and maybe still is that it's just peaceful for me. It's a nice way to get away from anything else that is on my mind and just focus on my science and do that. Also, it was very appealing to me, the idea of, okay, it doesn't really matter what I look like or, you know, what I come, where I come from or whatever. Here, I can just bring in my thoughts and that's what people care about. Um, and especially growing up uh, through like September 11th as a kid and going through that, people kind of harassing you for, you know, something that's not really in your control or that you don't understand because you're really young. That was really nice and refreshing. Um, And then it was funny because I had this very rose tinted glasses view of scientists. And I think I still do in a way like this kind of romantic view of scientists being very pure in this way and their integrity and, you know, putting intellect and thoughts and ideas before anything else. And that's not true at all because scientists are still people and there's a history of science and we're very biased towards certain types of science, namely Western science being the, the top or being seen as the pinnacle again you know, I guess, as I said earlier, if white people think it's important, then then, then that's where the money goes, right? So I think, yeah, so so I think as I continued on, and I think most people will agree that as I continued on, you know, things would happen, and I I would have these experiences, and I knew I was different, I knew I was underrepresented different ways, Um, but things would come up that at first I would really blame myself. I would immediately be like, this is my fault or this happened because of something I'm not doing right. And then it happens enough times. And then you start to feel this is messed up. And then you start to feel like this is not fair. One example was, uh, and I, I feel pretty comfortable talking about this when I was doing my degree on the East coast, there were two other male grad students in the lab with me. And one was already there and I came in and then I kind of convinced the third one to join our lab who was rotating. I really enjoy science. It's very therapeutic for me. So I was working a lot and then the PI kind of favored me within the first six months. And I don't agree with that. I don't think it's good to favor students, but that is what happened. And then the two male grad students didn't like that and they teamed up. So initially I was friends with the one and you know, kind of neutral with the other one, um, but then they teamed up because they didn't like that. The PI and the PI was, it was also, you know, the tone that the PI set in the lab where the PI would often kind of compete us against each other, which created an environment of like paranoia and and kind of unhealthy competition and things like that. Toxic almost. Uh, Yes. Yes. And so that I think also that really frustrated me and I, I got really depressed. I got really depressed. I got really down and it was for the first time since doing research. So at that time, I think I was like 22 and cause I went directly to that program. So from being 17 to 22, that was the first time where I 
did not want to go to lab. I would make excuses to not go because I just didn't want to deal with that kind of basically I guess bullying uh, and yeah. like harassment from my peers or even my PI was my, my PI was kind of a bully to all of us. And, you know, now I can, I can see that for what that is, but at the time, you know, I was very hard on myself and I'm a failure and I'm not fitting in, I'm not getting along. And, and really that other aggressive that was there, um, the international Japanese, like he was kind of at the end of his career or his doctorate. He didn't really care. He's just like, I don't get he, if he, he wasn't there, I think, would have been a little bit harder but he was really helpful whenever he wouldn't be around he was he was not there a lot of time but he when he would be around he'd just be like oh you shouldn't care about these things and he was really a helpful person um but anyways just to say that uh when it comes with why this is important what are our backgrounds and, and why it's important is i think that really having that experience earlier was definitely not a fun experience and you know it's that i think really weighs heavily. I think it weighs maybe the most heavily. So I've had even some more negative experiences since then, but I think that one weighs the heaviest in my mind just because it was the first one. And most and that had, I had the most shock with that. Um, but I think because that happened and because I, I've stayed, I can tell in my own growth as a person, I really have tried to become more and more of a person that I really don't want to be this way. Like I really want to be someone that's helpful for others and approachable. Even if I seem, I think maybe in some circles, people might view me as like ditzy or I don't really know what I'm talking about. Or, you know, sometimes I ask kind of naive questions, but I think it's better to be viewed that way than someone who's not approachable. So at least I know people feel comfortable talking to me and comfortable approaching me. And I prefer that um then the opposite because i feel like that's very important as a scientist and then going back to why our backgrounds matter uh, i think this all really taught me that i was using science as an escape but and maybe this is getting a little too deeper existential but like we can't escape ourselves you know like <laughs> we are who we are and so, you, <laughs> <laughs> you know we, we talk a lot about being objective and that the pinnacle of being a good scientist is finding the objective truth, but that doesn't exist because we're humans. We are inherently subjective and we see this in everything we do. So then the follow-up is, well, what's the point then? Why should we do anything at all? It's like, well, no, there is a point because the more we can acknowledge the subjective aspects, the more we can actually attain the objective. And so if we ignore these aspects, like, you know, that you're Filipino, that I'm South Asian or someone else, if we ignore these and we ignore these contexts, we are hurting ourselves and our ability to conduct good research. And we're also ignoring the strengths and perspectives we offer from our own, just like you collaborate with people that are different disciplines. It's the same concept. You know, you collaborate with people who are different from you because they have a different way of seeing something and they're going to have something valuable to offer, but we don't see it that way. So it's kind of ironic. Like we value biodiversity. We value interdisciplinary cooperation. So like, why don't we value diversity amongst people? This is just one plus one equals two. Right. But it's also, I think we see that because we're kind of coming in from the outside. So I think that the more and more you have people, and I've learned a lot of stuff too. Like one thing I'm learning a lot more about is my ableism. Mm -hmm. And I can say that the same PI where um, I was working for in the East Coast, at that time it was um, 2013 or so. And one of my friends uh, was recently diagnosed with MS and they also 
um, were in research. And so I remember talking with them. They were on the other side of the country and I remember talking with them and, you know, slowly, slowly they were losing their mobility and they were trying to figure out how to do lab work while that was happening. And I remember ha- talking with my PI about it kind of as per mentorship advice. And I'm like, well, you know, if that's a problem, like they, they just can't do lab work. And I just remember thinking like, what? Like, <laughs> they can't do lab work? And so that really stuck in my mind, but I didn't really have the words for having that kind of conversation. And I think it's fantastic that right now there's a lot more conversation on, you know, disability in STEM and that representation because doesn't matter. There is definitely a lot of ableism in field work and wet lab work um, that shouldn't be the case. You have like Stephen Hawking, right? That's a great example of why it's important to have people that have different backgrounds. So that's something I'm thinking about too. Um, so I feel like in the same way that I have learned that I have things that I can offer um, that I previously thought were like maybe weaknesses or negative aspects of myself because they weren't really represented. I'm also seeing how I benefit from my own privileges too and learning. I think as scientists, our goal is that we are always learning and it can feel overwhelming, but hopefully we're all interested in the curious aspect. Otherwise, like, why are we here? Yeah. Yeah. You're a very impressive person. I I love that. (laughs) Everything, everything about that. I was in my head. I'm just snapping. Like, like, Like that's, I'm not the one making a podcast, so that's pretty. So good. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's always about the about the people I interview. That's why that's why I do this. I let them do the work. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess I'm now wondering, like, how did you get through all this, right? Because you know th- these experiences. I, I'm sorry that you went through them, but I, I just want to know how did you get through them? A lot of people talk about finding their communities, um, their support systems. Did you have any support going through this? Like, what were your support systems like? growing up and, and how, how integral has this been for you? How did you find your support system? Or was it just yeah. you, you know, being a badass and being like, oh, I got it, I got I'm it. just a loner. Yeah. Um, no, so, so that's a great question. And that's also something where it's funny because like, you know, like you, you contacted me through Twitter and you can see that like, I may be a prolific tweeter, you could say. I think I got a Twitter in like 2014 or something because I was working as a tech for a new PI. And he's like, oh, you got to get this. And I was just like, I don't know what this is about. I didn't use it for like two years. I just didn't even yeah. touch it. So it's funny because I feel like everyone's like, oh yeah. So tweets a lot. They have this idea of what I do or what I am because of my quote unquote online presence or whatever. But uh, I think at some point I just stopped caring and I was just like, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. and you know, for better or for worse, um, I, that's why I just kind of say whatever and I try to use it as something to help me learn and to learn from others and also just to, I don't know, be ridiculous, <laughs> I would say. But uh, but I think, you know, like I said, like I, I really struggled to make friends when I was younger. One, because of just like the context of being Muslim American in um, Utah. And the other thing being that because of that, I think I just really struggled. I didn't trust people. And I still, I think, you know, we all have trust issues, right? To some degree. Uh, but I, I just had a lot of trust issues. And so I was very closed. And I actually, uh, I had a really bad anxiety attacks. And then when I was, I think it was like my first year, uh, my freshman year of college, I would get such bad anxiety attacks I would like throw up or I would just not be able to do it. and I and nobody knew literally not even I had a roommate where we lived in the same room and I would like, yeah. hide it from her like I would like, go in the bathroom and like 
I was like, nobody can know. My family didn't, like, nobody knew. And now, you know, as someone who has anxiety and depression, I can just openly say, like, think of somebody that's never experienced anxiety or depression. Like, that person does not exist. If they exist, please introduce me to them. Yeah. I don't think that person is real. I think it's, you know, it's a part of life, right? Like, at some point or another, people will experience, and of course, it's a spectrum. Like, people have different severities, and that should be respected. Uh, But... I think people, everyone has something that they are going through that you don't know about. So there are some things that, you know, are very apparent that you can see, visibly see, and then you're like, okay, that person has going through this, or this person is privileged in that way, or whatever. But there are other things that are unseen um, that we just don't know about, and and people have varying comfort levels of how much they're going to share about that. And I think maybe my queerness, too, is an example of that, where I basically outed myself as a result of... Uh, a friend being mislabeled as cis and white, uh, a cis white male who was actually multiracial and bi, and they were really upset about it because this stranger more or less was critiquing them being like, oh, you don't know anything about this. You're just another cis white male, blah, blah. And they were complaining. They're like, how dare they? They don't know me at all. That's my life. And they were really upset about it. And I was like, well, I'm just going to out myself because what does that even look like? Because I've had people say to me, you know, whenever I'm like, oh yeah, I'm queer. They're like, what does that mean? And they'll be like, well, you don't look queer. But it's like, why does this should not have like an aesthetic, you know? Like, this yeah. is, and I think that's, then, then that gets into the whole other stuff of, you know, how Filipino are you? Or you're not mm-hmm. Filipino enough, or you're not American. And it's just like, who, who's making these rules, right? right? So um, getting back to the original thing of, of how to get through these, I think we have to remember that. Uh, so like I said, I, I really was very closed about a lot of things and I, I was quite antisocial. And I kind of reached a point where I realized it was not good for me. And I realized that I needed to start being open, um, even though it's really uncomfortable, still very uncomfortable. Surely, yeah. That's why I do stuff like this. And it's weird because even doing these types of interviews, it's just like weird. It's like, like, hear about how awesome I am. Yay, egoism, you know, but hopefully someone hears it and it's helpful for them. And that's awesome. <laughs> like whatever I say, or like, you know, someone else says, like, that's crap. I'm like, that's fine. But if what, even <laughs> one person hears this, they're like, oh, that's a helpful thing. I'm going to think about that later. Yeah. And then that's that's useful that's that is the reason to you know give my time to do that kind of stuff and so yeah I think their life something that I didn't really realize before that I think about a lot now is um, life is full of hills and valleys and you can't always be on top and you can't always be on the bottom like you'll oh it's always a fluctuation it's a little you know cosine wave or whatever and (laughs) you know that's that's just how it is. And there are some days, like actually last week, I was kind of having a rough week and I was just feeling kind of, I was feeling kind of sad for whatever reason. Like every, you know, it's like a beautiful, I live in a beautiful place. I have very lucky. I love my job. Everyone I work with is awesome. This is my third year now and like no complaints, which is unheard of, right? And I love everything. I'm very fortunate, you know, like my family, my parents have health problems, but they're all, they're here. Like I'm very lucky in many ways. Um, And for whatever reason, I was just feeling kind of low last week. I was feeling some imposter syndrome. I was feeling Mm -hmm. like, am I ever gonna figure this out? You know, and like, that's normal. Even people I know that are established in their careers. I'm like, I'm, you know, considered more established. I have my degree now, Mm -hmm. I'm doing all right. You know, there's always something. And I don't know one person who is doing well, like from a a third person perspective that you're like, oh, that person's doing great. 
and you talk to them and they open up and there's a whole bunch of stuff that they are worried about too. So I think normalizing these things. And and I think that's, what's really gotten me through is just when I started talking to people, when I had that really rough time, uh, when I was out doing my master's, I talked to two people that were kind of mentors to me and I felt kind of awkward doing it, but I just asked them for help and, and they got on the phone with me independently and talked with me and, and they basically convinced me because I was going to drop out. I was just going to leave, like basically disappear and not come back. That was what I wanted to do. And they were like, don't do that because then you have put in time and what did you get out of it? And that person doesn't care if you leave, they're still going to get their research or whatever, but at least finish because that degree is for you. You are there and then you can have that and nobody can take that away from you after. And so them telling me that and telling me their own experiences, I think really helped me to normalize that this is something that happens This is part of life. It's okay. Uh, It's okay to have things be unfair. It's normal as maybe some things are less fair uh, or seem more unfair at certain times than others. But I think at the end, we all are abiding by the chemical, the chemistry laws of equilibrium. So it's always a trade-off and karma, et cetera. So I think that's that's really helped me to get through and just remembering that there was some funny reel I was watching the other day where <laughs> this person was like joking about these two seagulls um, on the beach and they're like, oh, are they together? Are they breaking up? Are they in a fight? And it was just like a little anthropomorphized commentary on the seagulls. And they're like shouting to them, like, remember the good times, you know, <laughs> don't break up. And, and so I think you have to think about, I was just, yeah, just like a funny anecdote, but um you have to think about the moments that are good and you have to remember that this moment is happening too. It's okay. It's important to sit in that moment and that if you don't have those bad experiences, if you don't have those low moments, then you can't really appreciate the good as much. Um, so I think that it's important to also in a way, enjoy the bad too, not like, don't yeah, like enjoy definitely. it, but like, you <laughs> yeah, know, appreciate it and that yeah. it's there. Yeah. And so that's, that's how I've gone through stuff. And, um, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, I, I really admire your vulnerability. I, I feel like uh, the power of vulnerability is really underestimated nowadays. Like, it's it's pretty wild. But I I wanted to ask. We talk. We're having this conversation, but structurally, like institutes of higher education can also do a better job. So, how do you think they can be better? How can institutes of higher education be more inclusive and and really help us? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know at the start, yeah. you, said you, wanted to, you were really critical of it. So I'm curious right. to see what, what you had in mind. That's a great question. Um, so might take you know, an hour long, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I would say, uh, and then this, this goes back to like, just talking about like, why is anyone anyway, right? So like, yeah. uh, I would say in all the negative experiences I've had with people in academia or otherwise, it's mostly rooted in something that they are struggling with themselves and they're projecting in some way, right? It's very hard to take time to reflect and be healthy. It's a lot of work, it's a lot of effort. It's constant effort, it never stops. And the person that I had to really, the one that kind of shocked me, like I said, I've had other negative experiences and positive experiences since that time. But the one where it kind of shocked me, they were one of the first uh, females to be hired in that department. And I, they, that was very inspiring to me to work for somebody like that. And I, I respect 
that person, even though I had a really negative experience with them, I respect what that person had to go through to get there. Mm -hmm. But I am very sad by the fact that they, yeah, they basically kind of were a bully. Um, and they were definitely, they were known to be harder towards non-males than males, even though they themselves are female. Um, and I, I also experienced that working with them. And so that's something, and there's, there's all sorts of uh, literature uh, on this stuff too, like um, internal sexism and things like that. Yeah. And things that I've also had to work on with that too, of, you know, um, not viewing femme qualities or characteristics as less than masculine characteristics. Like for example, one thing we know is that many uh, women in science tend to speak deeper because it's like tied to being more masculine and that's going to be taken more seriously. Um, anyway, so, so what can we do to change these things? I think one thing I've learned as I get more and more senior is that there's no incentive for tenured faculty to gain um, professional development training in their process of getting tenure. And so the people that I've had really positive experience with have taken that time on their own to take a leadership training course or take a communications course or conflict management course, but they don't get any pat on the backs for that. They just do it themselves. Mm -hmm. And when you mm -hmm. think about it, when you are a PI, you're a head of a lab or you're a manager of anything, you know, you're in charge of a lab and you're basically a mini CEO, you're running a business. And I don't think any of us really go into science thinking that way. Like, I think all of us were like, we're just going to play around with test tubes all day. That'll be fun. <laughs> we don't think about, you know, you don't really realize how much writing is involved, how much administrative work is involved until you're already there. You're kind of thrown into the trenches. So I have a lot of sympathy, even though I've had like these negative experiences with people and I'm sure people have had negative experiences with me. I have a lot of sympathy because it's really hard to, step outside of that if you don't if you're not really being trained in that so we've been trained to be scientists but then we're kind of thrown into this managerial position and then that's what we end up doing for like 30 plus years so yeah. i think a big thing that people could do to improve is to make it a part of the tenure track where people are required to take some sort of regular management training, leadership training, et cetera, and also really get immersed in what that means in terms of responsibility. Because I think also people, not to not to be dismissive of anyone, um, but I think people underestimate just how much that ends up being part of their job because they're so focused on the science, which is great. So you have these really, really great experts in science, um, but then that informal mentorship training, they kind of think like, oh, that's what's going to be like to be a professor. And that's not, at least yeah. from what I know, that's not what it's like. And from talking to people, and I think even people with the best intentions end up succumbing to projecting negative things that they themselves have experienced because that support isn't in the infrastructure for them. And then, you know, if something happens, they're the one liable. So the university isn't the one liable, it's the professor. So there's a lot of stress and pressure where the professors are being pulled, I think, in multiple directions. And um, I think that also results in this really high um, turnover and grad students and undergrads and postdocs and people leaving academia yeah. because there's not that support there in the infrastructure. Huh. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I know, I know you have to leave in like 12 minutes. So 
Uh, I'm just going to rapid fire some fun questions at you, if, if that's okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? What is your yes. favorite song right now and why? Like you're, you're cruising down, cruising around San Diego. Oh, here's a song. I really like this. Uh, well, I don't know how much people know about the 90s, but there's a song called <laughs> Better Off Alone. I forget the original artist, but like um, Purity Ring has a cover of it. And I've been listening to that a lot. I'll just like quickly Google the original. No, uh, what is, who's the original artist of this uh, song? <laughs> It's like, it's the same group as like Sandstorm and okay. anyways, yeah, I yeah, really yeah. have been listening to that a lot. Alice <laughs> DJ, I think is who sings it, but okay. yeah, I don't know. I've just been like in a like bad EDM <laughs> pop 90s yeah, yeah, yeah. lately. 100 <laughs> Gex is another good one if you want to yeah, check yeah, out yeah, 100 yeah. Gex. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's so weird how I... I... Yeah, I'm not that. I'm not, not. Not. I'm saying. I'm not saying you're old. I just. I know those bands. I know those. <laughs> know those oh, I guess it's newer. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is your favorite thing to do outside of science? Uh, I like tide pooling. I like going on hikes. Uh, surfing? I no. I I am trying to get into surfing. It's really hard. I'm. Yeah. I have a surfboard. I probably will not call myself a surfer until like six months into it. And I, okay. I used to do skateboarding a lot too when I was like in my late teens, early twenties and yeah. I'm 30 now. And I started doing it again this past couple of months and it's like, oh, so really hard. I was like, oh, but also I'm like more fragile now too. So I'm like yeah, this 30 yeah, year old in the skate park, but it's like a great workout. It's like so good for your core. Like you do it for an hour and it's like fun. Yeah. And then you're like done with it. I'm like, this is better than the gym. <laughs> but now I'm like, am I that weird old person? Like, no, but it's absolutely fine. Just SoCal, like everyone does it. So it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I miss SoCal so much. Like, it's so much different than North Carolina. Come visit anytime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really do miss it. <laughs> um, what is your favorite food? Or I guess, what is your favorite food, place to eat, hang out, and why? I really love Lestat's coffee. Uh, okay. There's like a few locations in... in San Diego. Okay. La Jolla uh, specifically? Or... Uh, there's like three of them, I think. There's, okay. there's a few locations. I also really love um, Oscar's Seafood. Uh, okay. It's like Mexican and it's like seafood tacos. Like they have like smoked fish taco and like good ceviche and stuff. Um, I also really like, there's a lot of good Ethiopian places here, also in the Bay Area. Ramen, pokey, uh, Korean barbecue. Everything is in SoCal. Like I, that's, that's something we don't <laughs> have. Out, out here, I'm like, man, what is out here? I don't even. I know. Well, yeah. <laughs> you got to start something. I guess. Start like Another a side hustle. Or something. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I For know. Real. The boba, I do really like the boba. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I know we were on a time crunch, but I, I do want to thank you again for everything. It's it's, it feels really nice having these conversations again because I, I feel like I'm kind of shaking the rust off right now just because this PhD program is like, oh my gosh, this stuff's yeah. so hard. <laughs> you're doing great though, sounds like. Seems like you're seem pretty busy. But yeah, hopefully you're getting some time for some, some fun too. Yeah, I count this as fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just hearing your thoughts and everything. It's really inspiring. Thank you.